smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Depay! And he stretched it! Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still! Oh my word, what a goal! Golovin! Lovely finish! Must be the opening goal. Benedetto! And Bagnon! Fantastic! Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta! Beautifully done, sensational. Hello and welcome to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in association with BT Sport. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at all the latest news from France's top flight, but we've just been hit with uh, some very sad news. Uh, Gerard Houllier, the uh, former manager, has passed away at the age of uh, 73. So I'm sitting here. Um, in Robbie's lovely apartment uh, just outside of Paris. Um, Robbie Thompson, how are you doing? Very well, Matt. Um, a little bit shocked, like everyone, I think, to hear the news. The same every time, and it seems to be happening a lot in 2020, when uh, one of someone that was important for us growing up and our love of football when we were when we were younger passes away it's a, it's a bit strange yeah well we'll 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 talk about Gerard Houllier such a huge figure in in french football but i'll continue just with the introductions to let you know who's here today armel tangi uh, podcast regular how are you armel morning i'm all right a little bit tired busy weekend but we'll get there Busy times in, in Ligue 1 at the moment. Uh, we've got Tom Williams over from the UK, Canal Plus pundit these days. How are you, Tom? Very well, thanks, Matt. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. It's great to see you. But uh, yeah, we were, we were all in buoyant mood. It was an exciting weekend in Ligue 1 and we'll talk about that. But of course, the news of Gerard Houllier um, dominating our thoughts at the moment. Gerard Houllier, who coached uh, notably Lens, Paris Saint-Germain, the, the, the first coach to win the league title with Paris Saint-Germain in 1986 had an unhappy spell in charge of the French national team and then uh, several years at, at, at Liverpool and uh, still, of course, fondly remembered at, at Liverpool. He then came back to France and was absolutely phenomenal with uh, Lyon between 2004 and 2006. No, 2005, 2007. Exactly. Excuse yeah. me. Winning, winning two league titles. That Lyon team was unbelievable. Um, also with Aston Villa. I had the pleasure of meeting Gerard Houllier last year. I did a long interview with him talking about Claire Fontaine and everything he set up um, sort of behind the scenes in French football. And he was one of the main protagonists um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, you know, setting up that incredible youth development system that helped France get, get ahead of the game. And um, Gerard was still in... in in very good form. He was still, up until uh, today, the advisor to Jean-Michel Olas at, at Lyon, still um, had a high position with, with Red Bull. So he was very much um, at the forefront of, of football right until the end. And uh, yeah, Tom, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously hugely sad and a, and a big loss for football in general. Yeah, a massive loss. I mean, you know, you've you've mentioned some of the, the teams that he's managed and I think the role that he played in, in France's Success at the '98 World Cup is is sometimes overlooked, and, and perhaps something that that um, the anglophone uh, listeners won't be as aware of. I mean, the, the role he played in sort of bringing a, a slightly more technical focus um, to, to France's uh, youth football system was was a huge factor in that. Um, and of course, you know, seen from a, a UK perspective, what he did at Liverpool is comparable in a way to, to what Arsene Wenger did at Arsenal. I mean, he was you know the first uh you know non british coach to come in and he introduced a lot of very forward thinking ideas and you know and he had to look at twitter uh, just before we started recording and and the testimonies of some of the players who 
who came through um, under his stewardship at Liverpool, Michael Owen, Jamie Carragher, Stephen Gerrard. They speak so highly of him. I mean, he really, um, you know, expanded their horizons in terms of their, their, their thinking about the game. And, of course, he had that fantastic season at Liverpool in 2000, 2001, the treble of FA Cup, League Cup and UEFA Cup. Uh, Michael Owen winning the Ballon d'Or off the back of that. And yeah, I think Liverpool fans in particular will will find it a very uh, difficult news to um, to take in. Yeah, and Robbie, um, you you work closely with with Paris Saint Germain. Um, you weren't living in France in 1986 when he when he won their historic first title, but he's obviously left you know a big a big sort of imprint big trace in PSG's history. Absolutely. I think any the, the first title-winning coach of any club probably holds a, a special place in history, even if he's more famous for what he achieved at Liverpool and then in France probably more recently with what he achieved with Lyon as well. But that first title with Paris Saint-Germain is, is something not to be overlooked. It was Paris Saint-Germain were, were already the big club in the capital that just couldn't win anything. They'd won two French Cups before. They had some fantastic players and it was... It was, funnily enough, it was one of his psychological moves within that squad in 1985-86 that that made it capable for Paris Saint-Germain to win the title. There was a young player called Luis Fernandez, who was a a, a fantastic footballer, part of the Carré Magique with the France national team. And um, he was a bit of a loose cannon. And Gerard Houllier managed to, to canalise all that energy and turn him into a, the captain of the team, which everyone thought he'll, he can never be captain, he can never be captain. He said, here's the captain's armband, you're the man, Luis Fernandez." And he didn't pick up a single red card throughout the season, his, before that was littered with red cards, and he led them to the title. So, And I think that is a, a great insight into the psychology of him. We know he was a teacher, he knew how to, to get the best out of other people. He wasn't a former player, he wasn't a professional footballer before that. He was someone that studied, and I think studied people as well, and all the... Everything everyone's saying about him now this morning on the internet is all about what a great person he was as well. Yeah, absolutely, Robbie. Yeah. He could also be a very tough guy and you wouldn't want to be on, on his bad side, uh, Gerard Houllier. But what, what I sort of found out that perhaps I didn't quite realise that, you know, you talk about the psychology, he was an extremely bright person. What he explained to me about um, what he introduced at Clairefontaine in, in the late 80s, what the French called the pré-formation, where he decided we had to get to these talents younger because it was the age of 15 they were starting at at the club academies and he said that came about after discussions with Michel Platini who said we need to be more more technical um when we you know we're not as good as uh, as our European counterparts but he spoke to neurologists as well which I found quite interesting and they explained to him that um you know that the development of the brain in a footballing sense is happening um you now primarily sort of from 11 upwards 11 to, to 13 14 and that's when you need to sort of get it into the kid's head, you know, just how to, you know, how to control, how to, 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 to turn, how to, to pass, how, you know, it's about, it's about thinking on a football pitch, but it's also about drilling certain reflexes into your body. And, um, and that I found, I found pretty interesting, but Armel, um, you're probably the youngest, well, you are the youngest uh, around this table, but perhaps memories of, of what Julier did at Lyon, that team that won two titles between 2005, 2007, was absolutely phenomenal. It was just a, a winning machine. Yeah, I mean, those are images that I've seen more recently because back in the day, I was I was watching more more English football of that period. But I, I remember some fantastic players that he'd brought across from Ligue 1 into the Premier League, the John Arna Reeses, the uh, 
Jimmy Trollrays, uh, Jibril Cisse players. Obviously, he never played under Julio at Liverpool, but he gave them their chance. The one that sticks for me, none better, none more popular in Liverpool than El Hadjouf. Fantastic player. But no, on a, on a serious <laughs> note, uh, Gerard Houllier, clearly from everything you've just said, uh, you know, a, a man that deserves uh, great respect for his work and a sad day, obviously, to, to hear of his passing this morning. One of, one of the things that in his second spell, third spell in France with Olympic Lyonnais, that side 2005-2006, I think they just, in the quarterfinals where they conceded, they were leading the whole game, the return leg at San Siro against Milan. And they conceded two goals, I think, in the last five minutes to, to go out. And there was really a feeling that year that that Lyon side were amongst the best clubs in all of Europe. And I remember a couple of years after, Sidney Govu talking about it. And he had lots of run-ins with Gerard Houllier. And, and he said one of the things about Gerard Houllier was he could convince you that it was OK to be on the bench against Barcelona in midweek because that Sunday you were going to play against Sedan in Ligue 1. And that was the big match that week. He had this way of... of just getting you motivated, thinking you'd missed out on the big game of the week and lift you back up so that you actually believed that it was better to play against Sedan on the weekend than it was to play at Comp Nou against Barcelona in the Champions League. And that's, that's that psychology. That's, about, that's what coaches need to be able to do to, to lift their players. And that's a fantastic story. Yeah, Tom mentioned, uh, I think it was Tom, that uh, yeah, there were similarities with Wenger. Um, you know, in terms of changing the philosophy and stuff. And I know, Armo, you mentioned some of those names of the French players. And I think, you know, a difference you can say is the French players that came over weren't of the calibre of Henri and, and Vieira because you can add uh, Bernard Diomed and uh, Bruno Cheru who was a really good player but didn't live up to, you know, Julier compared him to Zidane. But I think what's interesting, he started as joint coach with Roy Evans and he was also very much um, embedded in the English culture, Julier, having, having already worked in England. I think what, what is interesting now so when you look back at that period and you see, you know, how he made the Carragers and the uh, Owens and the Gerrards sort of, you know, so important um, in, in, in that whole project. So I think, you know, there, there are differences and similarities with, with Arsene Wenger. And certainly when you look back at his period, you know, with Wenger, you're looking at the French guys and with, with Julio, it's a bit more, bit more the English guys, which shows that capacity to adapt. Yeah, I mean, Julia's record on transfers was pretty hit and miss. I mean, some of the other names we could, you know, like Latalek and Cinema Pongol were both Julia signings. I remember Liverpool supporting friends of mine being very excited when they both arrived. And as it happened, you know, it, it didn't work out. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned Steven Gerrard. He holds Julia in such high esteem. You'd imagine looking at Gerrard's career at Liverpool that it might be Rafa Benitez, with whom he won the European Cup, who really stands out, or Brendan Rodgers, who took him to the brink of the title. But I think if, if Gerrard had to pick one coach who really shaped the way he thought about the game, he'd probably go for Julia because he was the guy who gave Gerrard his first go in the team and, and you know, sort of uh, educated him in, in what it took to be a top-level football player. Yeah, and they wanted him in the dressing room, didn't they, after that, when they won the Champions League um, under Rafa Benitez in 2005. Uh, when Steven Gerrard was was phenomenal, we've um, talked a lot about Gerard Houllier, which I think is 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 understandable given the uh, the impact that he's had on the French game, and it's quite appropriate. I think that we're going to start our, our look back at the weekend with uh, the big game between Paris Saint Germain and uh, Lyon, two of Gerard Houllier's former teams. It was uh, a summit clash, PSG top uh, going into the weekend, Lyon second going into the weekend. Let's hear what happened at the Parc des Princes where Andy Scott was the commentator. Again, Paris Saint-Germain give it away. Kimpembe to Tokuakambi, and it's been turned into the net this time by Tino Caduere. Well, Lyon have threatened that, and they've got the breakthrough here. 
There's still going to be time for at least one more chance for the home team here. Thiago Mendes booked for that tackle on Neymar. I think his ankle might just have turned. Uh, very painfully the wrong way there caught in between the, the legs of Thiago Mendes I'm not sure that Neymar is exaggerating there that's a painful one and Thiago Mendes is heading off here a red card at the end not exactly an early bath for the Brazilian midfielder in the 99th minute in the meantime the remaining players will play out the final chance of the uh, night surely for PSG in the 100th minute through to Anthony Lopez the referee with his whistle to his mouth Lyon have won this game it is a huge victory for them yes so uh, Lyon running out 1-0 victors uh, deservedly so on the um, overall basis of uh, of what happened it ended in pretty uh, worrying disappointing fashion with that tackle that foul from Thiago Mendes on, on Neymar we're still waiting to hear how serious that ankle injury could be for, for Neymar. But a, a dark night, really, Robbie, for Paris Saint-Germain. It, w- it was a, a disappointing performance, wasn't it? I think it was a disappointing... I mean, Lyon fans are obviously very happy, but I don't think the match lived up to, to the expectation. I think lots of people were hoping a, a, a game between Champions League semi-finalists and finalists from just a few months ago would be a, 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 a reference, a benchmark for French football. I don't think it lived up to, to the expectation, um, disappointing for Paris Saint-Germain. I think they're, it, they show again this season that that there is a certain mental fatigue to, to not be up for a big game like that and to never be in the contest right from kickoff. Um, after that, the last, the last incidents, the last minutes, I mean, Leon, I don't think you can deny they deserve the win, 1-0. They, they move ahead of Paris Saint-Germain, Saint-Germain in the standings. Paris Saint-Germain a third, perhaps fourth, with Marseille with two games in hand. I spoke to Rafinha and coach Thomas Tuchel after the game and asked them both about Neymar and that injury, and um, both said that they have to wait for the tests, obviously, but Rafinha said that Neymar was calm. He'd calmed down, he was composed, he was relaxed, he was he was okay, didn't give the feeling that he was being rushed to hospital or that it was as serious as, as everyone first first thought. But uh, obviously we have to wait and see and we'll know probably b- before this pot yeah. comes out that what, what the latest test analysis are. But Leon deserved winners and, and game on for this season. Yeah, fingers crossed for, for Neymar, especially with PSG just being uh, drawn against his former team Barcelona in the Champions League. Um, Armel is perhaps the most worrying thing for Paris Saint-Germain, the fact that they lost at home without really Leon having to, to play that well. I mean, you know, we talk about it being a disappointing game, but I mean, Leon will be absolutely delighted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just recovering because I think I rolled my ankle on the way in, so I had to get stretched for the uh, for the last hundred meters or so. I was just wiping my tears on my way in. But no, um, PSG only had one shot at home on target. That that for me is the most worrying statistic because we're used to such a an all encompassing attacking performance every time PSG come out at the Parc des Princes, and I think that is is really what Thomas Tuchel will be worried about. He um, uh, admitted, you know. Robbie paraphrased Thomas Tuchel's press conference just there. They do have a, a a sort of mental tiredness at the moment. The game's coming thick and fast, and and str- he doesn't have the same ability as Gerard Houllier to get them up for these games against uh, Sedan and the like. In this case, Leon. But um, 
it is, you know, it's their fourth defeat already this season. Uh, there was already a record for them to have three this early on in the uh, Qatari era. So things things are a little a little stop-start at PSG at the moment. It's just uh, lucky that they got that really good result in Manchester in the Champions League recently. Lucky? Lucky for, for <laughs> Thomas Tuchel. Oh, OK. Not a lucky result. <laughs> I think the, the contrast between PSG and Lyon is quite stark at the moment in that Lyon, as of, what, sort of beginning of October, have a very clear game plan. And Rudy Garcia deserves immense credit for that. If you'd said uh, after the, the final eight in the Champions League that Lyon would hit this incredible patch of form with a team that didn't include Bruno Guimaraes, that didn't include Maxence Cacare, that didn't include Moussa Dembele, um, you'd never have believed it. But Garcia has found a system that works, um, a system that gets the best out of his players. Everyone seems content for the time being, even those who, who aren't playing. He's using his squad well. And they've shown in that system, this new sort of 4-3-3 with the pie deeper and, and the two wide players coming in from the flanks that they can dominate teams. And what we saw last night was a different side to Leon's game where they, they didn't dominate possession. They, they were you know, a little bit cuter. Um, and certainly after they'd scored, they let PSG have a lot of the ball and, and hit them on the break. And then towards the end of the game, they sort of retreated into the, the 5-3-2 system that they use so successfully in the Champions League. So they, they do have that side to their game as well. Whereas PSG, you, you still don't feel like there's all that much tactical identity. It is still very much give it to Neymar and hope for the best, which is why Neymar being injured again is so worrying because it's not just that he's a vital cog in the machine. He is the machine very often. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 it has been a recurrent failing of Thomas Tuchel's two and a half years into his tenure that you look at PSG and you're not really sure what they're trying to do sometimes beyond, beyond just give it to the, you know, the, the leading guys and, and, and hope that they, they do it for them. So yeah, you know, worrying for PSG, but a huge result for Lyon and a brilliant result for the title, the title race. You know, we've now got, um, what's that? Five teams within three points of each other up at the top. And we could have, uh, for the first time in, in, in a long time, a really exciting um, title race that goes all the way to the wire. Yeah, absolutely. Seven wins and a draw for Leon in, in their last eight matches. Robbie, I, I just want to ask you about Leon. Um, Tom touched on it, uh, you know, the fact that Guimaraes and uh, Kakare not involved, but Thiago Mendes looks like a different player to the one last season, full of authority um, in, fr- in front of the defence. And uh, and Lucas Paqueta as well had, a, had an excellent game, didn't he? Well, Paqueta was one that, that I was a little bit critical of in his first few matches as well, just because he needed that time to adapt. And now we're seeing the, the type of player that, that he can be. Um, Thiago Mendes was absolutely sensational in that final season at Lille, where, where he was spraying the ball around. He was the hard man, the tackler, but also distributing play. And I think we're, we're starting to see that as well. I think Tom touched on it. The interesting thing about this transformation at Lyon is that I think they had one win in their first six matches of the season in Ligue 1. And since then, they've won, I think that's seven and one draw in their last eight or eight and one draw in their last nine. They've, they've completely turned things around. And it's, you get that feeling with Rudy Garcia that when things roll well, he, he, he rolls with the punches. He's fantastic at getting his team up for these sorts of games, big games for Olympic Lyonnais. And, and look, again, fully deserved winners. And, and it's going to be a, a very exciting title race. And a quick word also for the, the goal scorer yesterday evening, Tino Cadewere, who was playing in Ligue 2 last season. Leon took a chance signing him for 
fairly big money for a player who was in the second division. They sent him back on loan at the second half of last season to Le Havre, where he was playing. And, you know, he's won them the derby with two goals against Saint-Étienne. He's now won them. Granted, he just got the goal. It was a team performance. But he's he's a man performing for them this season. That's someone no one could have really betted upon. And hats off to Rudy Garcia for, for getting him playing. But same with Toko Akambi as well, who came on loan from Spanish football where he wasn't playing very much. He'd left almost anonymously French football after not really making the impact in, in Ligue 1. He comes back now and, and the two of them are scoring, yeah, fantastic goals. I mean, the issue that Leon have got is that their squad is too good for a team who aren't playing in Europe and they've got fantastic competition for places and everything feels very fresh and exciting currently because results are, are all fantastic. Think, you know, that they're moving in the right direction. But you do wonder as we get into the spring with only one game a week, are those players who aren't playing regularly going to start to grumble um, who, and, we, who are we talking about, Tom? Because Moussa Dembele would be the one that springs to mind. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he seems to uh, he seems to have accepted that role. I mean, he he would want to be playing, but when the team are, are doing as well as they can, he can't really complain too much because you know what what more could Leon possibly be doing? But um, you know, you look at guys like Bruno Guimaraes, who was the the sensation of the second half of last season for Leon, came into the team in January, looked like he'd been there for years, was quickly speaking French. He's not getting in the team and has, and has lost his place to Thiago Mendes. Maxence Cacare, Cacare, who blew us all away in the Champions League, was one of the absolute stars of the tournament as well. Um, we've not even mentioned Ryan Schaki, you know, the, the great hope, uh, the latest one off the, off the Lyon production line. And I mean, I, I don't think it's a massive issue currently, but as the season goes on, that's something that Garcia will have to manage carefully. Huge January transfer window. Well, I, well yeah, well, I, I think one may leave, considering Lyon were ready to sell either Awa or Dembele or Memphis um, in what was it in September, early October, and it didn't happen. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if if one went. But the excitement of a title challenge, you know, can do do the world of good to a squad, can't it? I'm just going to put this to you, Armel. Got a question from uh, from Liam Wraith. By the way, uh, if you do have any questions for us here at Le Bourgeois, send us an email: League One Podcast at Gmail That's what Liam did, and he he is asking. Um, about Rudy Garcia's situation. He's out of contract at the end of the season. How do you see things panning out? Jean-Michel Olas, the president, has uh, said some nice things about Christophe Galtier recently. Um, Armel, what do you reckon? I mean, I, I don't see why there'd be any pressure on, on his job currently. Um, I don't really think you can blame him for, for Leon not being in European football this season. Based on... Ren's performances so far this campaign, I think the argument that was made at the start of this season that if last campaign had gone on until the end, Leon would have made European football, I think is is pretty much validated because they, they're a cracking side. Um, Garcia's getting wins in big games. And as we, we've just said, he's, he's managing a squad which doesn't look easy to manage considering the talent that there is at hand. And no one's really come out in the press saying anything, being disgruntled. The last person to do so was Jeffrey Adelaide, and and you know he's he's moved to Nice since, so that that problem's been put out of the way. So I, frankly, Rudy Garcia for me is doing a good job at the moment. Good point, Armel. Um, we've got an interview coming up with Jeffrey Adelaide ah. a little bit later in the pod, um, so that was topical. And thanks for reminding me of that. Some uh, some interesting stuff from Jeff, and we will talk about Nice. But we're going to talk about the league leaders because neither Lyon nor Paris Saint-Germain are top of the league. Uh, Lille were at home against Bordeaux on Sunday. 
Commentating this one for us was Angus Turoad. Good ball from Akone. Now the chance building here for David. Oh, he's in! Jonathan Bamba strikes it into the back of the net. And Lille have the lead. Leaves the ball in. Oh, and he scored! Thomas Basic equalises for Bordeaux. Third goal of the season for the Balkan midfielder. Bamba then with a corner kick inside the last 30 seconds of the first half. The decent delivery! Oh, it's a really good delivery! And Jose Font heads Lille back in front on the stroke of half-time. Another victory for Lille. 2-1 against Bordeaux. Again, it, you know, it wasn't comfortable victory the game sort of petered out a bit in in, in the last half an hour but uh, another super goal from from Jonathan Bomber uh, Jose Font with the header and Lille getting the job done Tom yeah I mean that's what it was uh, once again having to um, uh, get a win on the board uh, at the end of a Europa League week and that's something that they've done very successfully more than successfully than any other French team this season is is manage um, the, the, the twin commitments of European competition and um, and domestic matches. It helps that they've got quite a deep squad, but I think it showed what a dangerous side Lille are. That they can, you know, basically turn out a sort of six out of ten performance. Like you said, piece of magic from Jonathan Bombo is in fantastic form and a set piece. Uh, generally keep Bordeaux at arm's length um, and you know on to the next. And they've really impressed me, Lille, this season. Every single time I've watched them, uh, and I think. The fact they've got that squad depth, the fact they've got competition for places, particularly in the forward positions, suggests to me that they've got the longevity required to see this all the way through to the end of the season. Yeah, Galtier went with uh, Burak Yilmaz, Jonathan David uh, through the middle, Bomber on the left, Iconi on the right. Jonathan Iconi is coming uh, really into contention. He was really involved uh, with all of their best moves on Sunday. It's um, it's a bit of a, a luxury that Christoph Galtier has, isn't it, Armel? Because Yusuf Yazici's already got 10 goals in all competitions with those two hat-tricks in, in the Europa League. And you know he's a very talented player. We talked about Luis Araujo as well. Again, though, Galtier you know, seems to be managing his squad well. Well, it's similarly to, to Rudy Garcia, he's got a wealth of talent um, to, to, to choose from. And uh, he's, doing, he's doing so very well. And it's, he's coming across so confident at the moment. Christophe Gautier, he's 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 got a, a, a glistener in his eye when when he's uh, talking to to interviewers, winking at them, and he's he, he's just he gives off something. He's, there's there's great confidence in him, and I I can only assume that that is uh, something that the players notice and they think, well, if my coach is this confident in the dressing room, then there must be reason for it. I've got to trust his ways, and you know, so far so good. Lilla working well, so another coach doing a good job. The other thing we talk about the the depth in this squad or the the quality that he has, but that's also due to Galtier. The I mean the players, Jonathan Bomber, he's been around. Now he's shining at Lille. That's thanks in large part to the coach. There are so many players like that, Bubakari Sumare, who Benjamin Andre. They're not players that even if Sumare has, has big raps for for the future, Rainildo. Botman, no one really knew about before he arrived in France. Well, we didn't in France. You know, I mean, these are players that uh, are shining because they're in the system, because things are working, and perhaps because they are seeing the glitter in their coach's eye. Gautier gave uh, Bomber his professional debut at Saint-Étienne, so I think it's, not, it's no coincidence that he's now um, flying under, under Gautier at Lille in a, in a more, 
mature role, should we say. Also worth flagging up that they're still without Renato Sanchez, who's arguably their best player, um, and yet they're on this great run of form. Um, and yeah, just, just further evidence of, of how well um, Galtier is, is managing things. Yeah, exciting times at Lille and exciting times in Ligue 1. We've got Lille and Lyon on 29 points, having played 14 games. PSG on 28 points. Uh, Marseille have got two games in hand. They're on 27, so just two points off the top. And Montpellier, five wins uh, out of six now for them. They're fifth. They won 3-2 away to Lens at the weekend. And they're going great guns. Time for our Deja Who which our regular listeners, of course, remember. Uh, and by the way, regular listeners, new listeners, don't forget you can rate our podcast on Apple, Google, Deezer, Spotify, um, and you can get in touch using the hashtag uh, Le Bourgeois on, on Twitter or using the email league1podcast at gmail.com. So last week's Deja Who, um, this was the clue. I didn't get much of a chance to shine at my first club, which is also my hometown club and the only team I've played for in France. Talking of shining, you should see my medal collection. I've got almost as many as my age. I've played and play for some of the biggest clubs in Europe, and I do look good in Lederhosen. Now, we got some uh, some right answers, of course. Ryan Yowell, Tom Derue from Australia, Henry Marchand, or perhaps Henri Marchand, Omar Baziz, Liam Wraith, Niels Part, and Habib Bar. All said Kingsley Coman. Congratulations. There's a name missing, though. Adam, Adam. Cyrilnik. Where's Adam? Who's been getting them right for goodness knows how many months. Adam said Benjamin Pavard. Oh. He, sli- oh, he slipped up. Right, the pressure is on, Adam, this week. Um, You've got to get this one. The Deja Who, if you know the answer. Uh, hashtag Le Bourgeois on Twitter or league1podcast at gmail.com. Here we go. I was born in the Paris region, but came through the Youth Academy at the club in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's hometown. I featured for Lens, Rennes, Monaco and Marseille in France during my career and also played in England and the USA. I am the first Mali international to win the UEFA Champions League. The tough one. It is a tough one and uh, we'll see if Adam Cyrilnik and all of our uh, listeners can, uh, can get it. Good luck, guys. Let's move on. There was another heavyweight clash at the weekend. Uh, Marseille against Monaco. Armel Tanguy had the pleasure of commentating this one from the Orange Velodrome. Nagatomo for camera. Space here for Benedetto. Trying to pick out Florian Tova. He's done just that. And Tova heads home from close range to give Marseille the lead early on here. Here he is again on the front foot with Rongier to his left. And Benedetto there too. And Marseille go two up inside the opening quarter of an hour it's Dario Benedetto with his third goal in three games Diop finds Ben Yedder. this might be a chance for Wissam Ben Yedder. across to Aguilar Diop again first time ball towards Ben Yedder. that was a high foot from Tova and Benoit Mio points to the penalty spot Ben Yedder from 12 yards finds the corner and there's life in this game yet. Armel 2-1, it finished to Marseille. Those two early goals, Tovan and Benedetto. Marseille in incredible form, if I'm not mistaken. Six wins in a row now in, in the league. You're not mistaken, Matt. Six wins in a row for, for Marseille. Um, this probably not their most impressive one. It's a strange game because they were two teams with uh, huge amounts of what, talent, if I'd say more probably in the Monaco ranks. But... Um, they didn't really give Marseille too many problems to deal with. Um, handed Marseille 
the two chances that uh, that OM converted early on in the game, and from then on, it was uh, about seeing it out, really. Um, moving forward, I'd be a little bit worried uh, that Morgan Sanson's injury is, he went off in the first half early on, is, is uh, problematic to them because he's an important player in the way they play. But there was no Payet this weekend. That wasn't noticeable. They... They uh, took that on the chin and played very well. And the combination of Dario Benedetto and Tova, who scored and assisted each other's goals, is uh, is promising too. I don't think, though, Matt, that Dario Benedetto is going to push on and become top scorer this season. Well, yeah. He I, is. Made, I made a fairly outrageous claim at the start of the season that Marseille would win the league and Benedetto would be top scorer. It was looking stupid in October time, but 3-3 three and three now. And I'll tell you what, just uh, put this to Tom, makes a difference when you've got a striker um, scoring goals. It makes a massive difference and uh, we also know how much pressure Benedetto is under because not only is he Marseille's number nine, he's their only centre forward at the club. I mean, you know, how, how long have they been looking to add players in that department and the only player who's come in um, in recent times has been Benedetto and yeah, you know, a long, long goal drought got got back on target with a penalty uh, against Nantes. Um, I, th- I thought the way he took the goal he scored at Nîmes uh, the weekend before last was really encouraging. If, if you'd been sh- if you'd been shown that and knew nothing of the context, you'd never know this was a guy who'd gone month after month after month um, without scoring. And even the way he took his goal against Monaco, you know, a close range volley, but he didn't look in danger of missing it for a second. Plants it into the roof of the net, and him and Tovan developing a nice understanding. Could they be Ligue answer to Harry Kane and Son Heung-min? <laughs> I don't know about that, but. Um, it, it's incredible how things change because he just couldn't buy a goal. I think that's the expression. He just, he, he was just, you know, couldn't hit a barn door. Couldn't hit a barn door. When he had chances, he snatched at them. But yeah, confidence changes everything, Robbie. And uh, I guess uh, at the Parc des Princes, people are, are quaking in their boots somewhat. Uh, about Marseille, <laughs> yes, May, maybe. I mean, no, look, the people at the coach, the coach was asked the question: are, are you worried about this title race? And do you think, paradoxically, this could hold? Paris Saint-Germain in good stead for the Champions League. And I think it's Rudy Garcia may have said something in the lead-up to the match as well about how the title race, Paris Saint-Germain sh- should thank the other clubs in Ligue 1 for, for, for making the title race there. And, and Thomas Tuchel said, look, we're not interested in what the other clubs are doing and what, what the other teams in Ligue 1, they have nothing to do with how we perform in the Champions League. So, uh, no, I don't think there's much quaking going on in boots at the Parc des Princes. So our last uh, featured game this week took place on the Côte d'Azur, Nice against Rennes. We were the last two podcasts discussing Patrick Vieira's situation. Um, a lot of us felt that it was perhaps a bit harsh and perhaps not the right move to sack Patrick Vieira, that perhaps the coach wasn't the problem, this very young side. And, uh, well, let's hear, first of all, uh, how things went on Nice versus Rennes. Robbie Thompson, uh, the commentator. Oh, what a mistake by Danilo and by Nyong! And Mbanyong scores! Well, Walter Benitez has twice denied Aguirre, but this time the mistake. And it's a deserved victory for Ren, who end their run of eight matches without victory. A much needed three points for Julian Stefan, courtesy of Mbanyong's goal. Uh, Robbie, Ren running out victors, piling uh, the misery on, on Nice. They're struggling at the moment. I think it was one win in 14 for Ren uh, before this one. Did they deserve this victory? They did deserve it. Um, an evenish first half. Nice burst out of the blocks, which is something that, that perhaps clubs that change coach tend to do. 
the the psychological boost and the the electric treatment the electric shock treatment of a change of coach that can bring that that quick reaction that that reflex reaction out of a team the first 10 15 minutes were all nice they had they had clear cut chances through Guiri and uh Claude Maurice they didn't take them and slowly Ren came into the game first via set pieces which we know is their strength with Aguerd and De Silva Aguerd had two fantastic headers one cleared off the line one saved by Benitez and then second half just when you you think they they scored and Bagnon got his first goal of the season as well um which was very important for Ren because after Girassi injury they needed someone to step up in that number 9 role Mbagnon who was frozen out at first who was want away well, he's back. He scored his first goal, and I think that will be a huge boost for them as well. At halftime, I was expecting Nice at home to produce something, to come out and, and show something, and the game just petered out, and Nice were incapable of of producing anything. Ren completely dominated the second half without even trying. They just kept Nice at arm's length, were never really threatened until the last second of the match, and... Uh, very disappointing and perhaps suggests that uh, the the difficulties that Nice are having at the moment run run quite deep and it was more than just a change of coach. Yeah, well, they haven't scored yet in the three games under Adrian Ursia, who's been appointed uh, until the end of the season. Armel uh, had the pleasure of interviewing Jeffren Adelaide, who is uh, on loan uh, from Lyon this season and uh, has played a handful of games for Nice, still still sort of finding his feet Um Armel spoke to him just before Patrick Vieira was was sacked, and it, but it's interesting to hear what Ren Adelaide had to say about Patrick Vieira, and perhaps gives us a bit of an indication as to the aura that Vieira has, and um, sort of the pulling power that that he has for for certain players. Here's uh, Jeff Ren Adelaide. It's crazy because uh, I used to watch uh, the video on YouTube because he was uh, one of the best in Arsenal. He was the captain too, so so I tried to to take uh, a lot of uh, advice from him. He had a very uh, good character before. Uh, I saw it with uh, Rokin. <laughs> they used to, to, to be uh, crazy. So, uh, yeah, uh, I love that character, the desire he got when uh, he used to be uh, a player. And uh, I will not say I try to be like him, but uh, I try to follow uh, the de- this desire. So, Armel, great to hear from Jeffrey Adelaide, who speaks good English after his uh, three years at uh, Arsenal. Um, do you think he's a player who who can help Nice get out of this and perhaps get back where they feel they belong? Definitely, definitely. He's a he's a very skillful footballer. Um, I think it's it's nothing new that he could do with uh, 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 some more experienced heads around him to help this Nice side a little more because uh, he's 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 capable of making a difference, but he needs a bit of encouragement around him. Um, you know, he was named uh, Ligue 1 Player of the Month last November before before his ACL injury. Um, hopefully he can get back to that sort of form for Nice's benefit. Um, can I just throw a proverbial cat among the pigeons? Lucien Favre has just been sacked, hasn't he, from Borussia Dortmund. And Adrian Ursia was his assistant when he was at Nice. I wonder what the odds are on a, a return to the Côte d'Azur for the... I thought you were going to say Ursia to Borussia Dortmund. That's interesting, Armel. But if you if you'd have read the uh, the running order I sent earlier, that was the question that Dylan Topham was was asking. Our our, our listener Ooh. Dylan sent that in and said, "Oh, interesting that Lucien Favre has just been uh, relieved of his duties at, at, at Dortmund. Could we envisage perhaps a, a reunion? What what do you reckon, Tom Ursia and Lucien Favre? Lucien Favre, who coached Nice and is still very popular at Nice. 
Yeah, I think Nice's supporters will probably be excited by that. We all remember what a fantastic job uh, Lucien Favre did when he was there, uh, you know, taking them to third in the table against all expectations. But I think the question you have to ask is, would Favre himself be interested in swapping a Bundesliga title race uh, and working with some of the players in that Dortmund squad for a Nice team who, yes, are in the foothills of a very ambitious uh, lavishly backed project but who are currently 12th in Ligue 1 and you know really sort of struggling obviously we know that they're without Dante for the rest of the season you've got this young team trying to find its feet it, it's a big job and I just wonder whether Favre at this stage in his career will be motivated by them well there's no question that Dante is going to be a really big miss along with Morgan Schneiderlein he's uh, one of the only senior figures in the team and it was very interesting to hear Jeffrey Adelaide talking about the the makeup of this Nice side and how at the age of 22, he considers himself actually, you know, a senior figure in this team. We've got so many good players in this team, so even us, uh, we don't uh, realise that uh, that potential. We've got Amin, we've got uh, we've got Freni Lopez, we've got uh, Mizian, Casper, uh, we've got Alexis Claude Maurice. So we've got many players can do the the difference. We've got the tactic to play together and then to be on the best on the pitch. I'm the captain with my French national team, so I have to be um, one of this player to talk to everyone to understand why they need me or or even if they don't need me but to talk with them because uh, I'm not going to say I'm old but uh, with the experience I've got I can I can talk and give us uh, what they need. In the game on Sunday we saw Jeff Ren Adelaide stepping up and taking his responsibilities as well. The first game last week where where I where I saw them under Adrian Ursia their first match under him uh, he started in a forward role and slowly dropped down into midfield. Today, oh, yesterday in Sunday's game, he started in midfield and he was very important. He was the real creative spark in that side. You had Schneiderlin just behind him doing the, 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 the dirty work and looking for Jeffrey and Adelaide every time. And he's a player that has the technique. He may not necessarily be the voice in the changing room that Dante is, and, and Dante still can be, even though he's not not on the pitch at the moment, but we're using this term a lot more now, technical leader on the pitch, where we, we use this term for players that don't have the character of a captain necessarily, but have the skills, and he is that player for me. I think one of the, one of the problems that he has is that he could um, legitimately expected to be given a bit of time to find his feet at Nice, given that he's just arrived at a new club. He's coming back to fitness after the ACL injury that, that, that Armel mentioned. Um, but he doesn't have that luxury. Nice need him now. You know they are they don't have uh, a huge amount of experience in this team, particularly in attacking areas. And you look at his return this season: one goal, no assists in seven Liga matches. Okay, that's in a, a struggling team. But um, you know if if Nice are going to pull themselves out of this slump and and start challenging for European qualification, as we all expected they would at the beginning of the season. There is pressure on Jeffrey and Adelaide to to start producing sooner rather than later. And I just quickly say he's uh, he's almost being forced into this leadership role as he's, he's you heard him saying to me he was saying oh, I'm trying I'm trying to to be a leader because he's been given the captain's armband for the French under twenty one team, um, which he said was a, a surprise to him something he's very proud of of course and he's going to work hard to keep but he's now being asked to be a leader at Nice as well and. It's a lot of pressure for a, for a 22-year-old player who, as you say, Tom, is, is still trying to 
find find how he wants to be playing in this Nice team. So it's not the ideal situation for him to flourish, but that's when you see the mark of great players, if he is about to flourish or not. And Tom, um, I know he didn't set the world alight in England with, uh, with Arsenal, but is it sort of a bit of insight as well into Arsenal's transfer dealings, the way the club is being run at the moment? I mean, obviously situation with William Saliba is complicated they spent a huge amount of money on him he's not even he's not even in the squad Jeffrey Adelaide was sold by Arsenal to Angers for I think one and a half million euros a year later he went to Lyon for 25 million I think and you know he's, he's clearly a player who has real quality oh completely and I think that's brought into particularly sharp relief when you look at the makeup of Arsenal's squad and one area where they're really lacking is in attacking midfielders who can bridge the gap between the midfield and, and the attacking players. Obviously, Meza Ozil has been frozen out. Um, they didn't manage to get Hussein Awar into the club uh, during the summer. Um, they did bring in Thomas Partey, but he's not quite as attacking a player. And you sort of think, you know, is there an alternative reality somewhere where Jeff Ren Adelaide stayed at Arsenal uh, and is now wearing the number 10 shirt and absolutely bossing things um, because he's he's absolutely the sort of player that, that, they, that they could be doing with? With Steffi Mavadidi ahead of him, who's now scoring for Montpellier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah Mavadidi on target again, two in two. I think he's got four in the league this season. Um, Armel did discover um, that he's got a lovely, Jeff's got a lovely um, Big Ben tattoo on his arm. Was it on both arms? Is it? No, he's but two big bends on one arm, one clock face and one tower, just in case. And it's know, because he weren't quite sure what fan. it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's because he loves London, and he, and he did. He yeah. did say he'd love to return one day. It's one yeah. a reflection in the water. No, no, no. no. Oh, he missed the trick there. Yeah. He missed the trick. Maybe he can get that on the other arm. You have to get in touch, Robbie. <laughs> Guys, we're going to have a a sort of super special Bon Voyage because we've got two match days coming up uh, in the next week. So we're going to look ahead to one or two fixtures um, that we'd that we'd like to take in over the coming days. So let's go on a Bon Voyage. So we've got a full uh, list of fixtures this Wednesday night and uh, some cracking matches, five of them taking place at 7 o'clock local time in France, five of them at 9 o'clock uh, local time in France. One game you can watch on uh, BT Sport at 9 o'clock in France, 8 p.m. in the UK, Rennes against Marseille. PSG also taking on Lorient um, at the same time, Lyon against uh, Brest. Um, fellas, any, any one of you want to take a pick then from the uh, round 15 matches? Um, well, I'll take Ren v Marseille since you mentioned it, the Umbain Young derby. Um, he'll be lining up against the team he wanted to join over the summer, but obviously did not join. Um, but going into the game off the back of that winning goal against Nice, uh, and we'll see whether Ren, who were just desperate for, um, for some positive momentum at the moment, can build on that victory uh, against the Marseille team who are absolutely flying. Um, so yeah, pretty clear standout fixture on Wednesday. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get mine out of the way, if you like, because this is a... Uh... Potentially a brilliant game, Leon against Brest. I love watching Brest this season. Um, victorious again at the weekend. Steve Mounier with the winner, the former Huddersfield man, scoring goals. And they're playing this really exciting 4-4-2 with Mounier and Irvin Cardona, who's scoring some spectacular goals as well. Frank Honorato on one wing, Roman Fevre on the other. Who knows? Leon might be a bit tired and, uh, and they might get a win. Um, Robbie, before I bring you in, I'm going to just uh, give a rundown of next weekend's games because there are some big ones and we haven't talked about the big one yet. Lille against Paris Saint-Germain. Watch it in the UK live on BT Sport, 8pm in the UK. That is uh, next Sunday, December 
the 20th, Lille versus uh, PSG. Other big matches uh, include um, Nice against Lyon. That's the other big one, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, 9 yeah. p.m. local time on Saturday night, so 8 o'clock in the UK, live on uh, on BT Sport. Robbie? What, what is interesting about the league, and it's not just at the top of the table either, we've got sides that are, that are struggling that we didn't necessarily expect to struggle. That, when I was preparing my commentary game yesterday between Nice and Rennes, it was like quite exciting to think here are two good teams with good squads that are both struggling and the match is important. They both come off these European campaigns and they think Europe's done, it's finished now, that was a, a bit of a disaster now Ligue 1 and they've got a big match straight away and it seems every every week at the moment there are big games you look at uh, Reims versus Nantes for example Nantes who have just changed their coach they've got a big game Reims is struggling they don't want to be there who could have been in Europe this season exactly who could easily have been in Europe this season they missed out on qualifying so everywhere you look at the moment there are games at at every level, whether it's at the bottom at the top of the table where there's things at stake and it's, uh, it's exciting so where are you going? well the first one I'm going to Reims for, for Reims-Nantes that's Maverick. A, yeah, absolutely. But I, I need to pick up some champagne before next week's Christmas special oh, true. <laughs> as well. So, so uh, yeah, I'll be there. And then for the weekend, look, I'm, I'm going to head north. Lil PSG. What a cracker. Absolutely. Armel? Well, because the last road trip to Lille was such a success, I think we should get the, the old car started again <laughs> and all go to Lille, Paris Saint-Germain. But no, in... in uh, more serious uh, terms, I think I'll just keep stereotyping myself and go for the Breton derby, Lorient Ren, because because why not? It's brilliant. <laughs> go and watch Trevor Shalaba. Absolutely, he's doing he's doing quite well in a in a Lorient team that got a three 0 win this weekend, so picking up a little. And as Robbie's mentioned, Ren have things to prove. What better way than to dominate the region that you're from? He's one of the English guys. We've got a handful doing quite well. Shalaba at, um, at Lorient. Jonathan Panzo uh, is doing well at Dijon. He did concede a penalty at the weekend, but, but he's, doing, he's doing well. The former Chelsea centre-back and Steffi Mavadidi scoring goals for Montpellier. And we will have an interview um, on our platform in the next few days with Jonathan Panzo. You can also hear Jeffrey and Adelaide talking to Armel in full, in-depth interview. You can download that on uh, Le Bourgeois' homepage. We've also got Fraser Hornby doing brilliantly in the Shea Ojo role, as in not playing at all at Rouse. Yeah. He's Scottish, of course, but I know we've got Thanks broad. For Thanks for that, Armel. Josh Madger also playing uh, regularly for Bordeaux, Although, the English-born Nigerian international. That concludes Look Bourgeois, episode 14. Thank you very much, Tom Williams, Robbie Thompson and Armel Tangi. It's been a lot of fun. We'll see you again uh, very soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bye-bye. Mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Neymar still. Bye. Oh, my word, what a goal. Beautifully done! Sensational!